Beast just sat there, eyes old and heavy with years of junk on the doctor's face. I can't write you a prescription. The doctor jerked open a drawer and stood an ampule across the table. That's all I have in the office. The doctor stood up. Take it and get out! Right, so this pleasant evening, Roberto and I, Corbin, are covering Exterminator! Exclamation points! Exclamation! <laughs> yeah, it's a collection of short stories by William S. Burroughs, um, beat author, most famous for Naked Lunch and other cut-up technique novels. I'm not sure if this one is cut up. Oh yeah, I, I forgot to to go back and confirm. It's not brought up in like in the canon of his like cut up works. Oh, but it feels like it needs to be. Frankly, I can't find too much online about this <laughs> yeah. specific work. It right? Feels, yeah, it was a little niche, even amongst canon of Burroughs' works. Yeah, even though like okay, so I don't. I have. I think you have a little bit more Burroughs experience than I do. Like, reading this book was such a breeze. Like, I did, like, have to reread some sections a few times. Like, okay, what? But it, it is, like, immediately such a charming and delightful book. Weird to say for, like, for how aggressively gross it is, too. But it's, it's punchy. It's punchy for sure, but that's, that's how Burroughs writes. You know, I, I haven't read Burroughs in a long time. After dropping Get Lunch. It's probably it's, it's mm-hmm. a little less cozy than this one. So for listeners, if you ever want to get into Burroughs, don't quite know how to, or you, you want to get into some crazy gross stuff. <laughs> you don't want to hit the deep end right away. Exterminator might be for you. Frank, Frank, yeah, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think Exterminator is it stands on its own legs even outside of the cut up uh canon yeah. or or discography. Right, like the uh the, the stuff that's um reminiscent of the or there's something I remember that I remember reading here that inspires that phrase like cut up that that makes me think, oh, this was something that was written one way, chopped up and then pasted together in a different order. Uh I don't know because it's such a it's it's weirdly lucid. Like there is a constant there is a constant shifting of of time and of perspective. There are like phrases that repeat, but each of these things feel deployed. Like the one the the one story that felt really uh, cut up. I'm not. <laughs> I feel like there should be like an adjective for this. The one story that felt really cut up for me was. Um, the teacher, the one that's like about like a, I don't know if he's like a mob hitman or something, who someone gets the jump on him and he's like in his deathbed. And then the, the story is like this swirl of, of memories as people, as like the detectives are trying to get a confession out of him before he dies. And you get these glimpses of unrelated things, like a teacher that's calling out his name, uh, like memories of him preparing. Like I, it's a little, it's a little tough to follow, but there, like, I could believe that maybe 
you know, he wrote it one way and then found a way to chop it up. In some ways, that seems easier than to have to imagine what that stream of memories would go and, you know, type it up right through. But even then, the, you know, that sort of mosaic, you know, is contextualized by what the story is, like someone's dying memories. I mean, so Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. Honestly, so playing cup method for a deathbed scene like that would probably more would be more coherent than um trying to imagine and then type it up on a type board. Right. There are some moments where I could believe it it coming, you know, just like that. There's like those phrases that get repeated. Like the one the one about the it's one of the last stories, but I was like uh, then I like went back to read it again. The one, the story about the guy that's in Mexico and he's like he writes something in a notebook. Oh, uh... <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of this for this story. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I mean, try, I'm trying my best to recall. I thought you were gonna do a comparison of George uh, Trip Home and Reddy's. Oh. The one with the biologic show. Oh yeah, yeah, right. The story just like straight up comes back. There was one that came in the beginning, and then there was another one at the end again. Right, and sometimes you get like the phrases with a little bit more context. So there's some definite like playing around, like of like phrases that are sitting there, like um, uh, and I we made this comparison to film form. Uh, well, you know, uh, just chatting about the book in the past, but it feels like. Is like have these clips like in your arsenal, like while you're editing a music video, like in your in your media folder. And this is something you can like pull out, like uh, like when like these phrases that come back, like the cold marbles line. I, I you know it's in that like kind of the cold lost marbles. That's like in that poem at the end. Yeah. But it shows up in the earlier stories, and yeah, and the one of the biologic show, like the phrase like come and jack off, like that, that comes back later with more detail. Flapping around, shitting and pissing. <laughs> that, was, that was repeat one. That is my favorite uh, lineage. It doesn't just repeat in, in Exterminator. It, it comes back in Express <laughs> and Naked Lunch. Like, that, that phrasing is absolutely amazing. Right, so that's beautiful. Like, William Burr just believes in, like, there's just something primal about the imagery of shitting and pissing. There is. There is. It's, it's, part, it's part of the show. Right, like, he understands some words that have power. Like, the biologic show, what a great name for something. Right, I think it, I read on Wikipedia, it was, like, reused for an Al Columbia comic at one point. And then when the story comes back in, is it in Reddy's? Uh, the story comes back. You can say you got to pay the biologic price. It's, it's it's really it's it's clever. It's really good. I pay the biologic right. price. <laughs> That's so. It's so cool how, like these sort of apocalyptic visions, sort of fade in and out of each other. Yeah. It like I I made the comparison to to Super Jail. Think about else. Maybe like Midnight Gospel or another one. Oh, Space Dandy. Oh yeah. Where the, the main character is just apocalyptic, apocalyptically die <laughs> at the end, and then they come back next episode. Uh, those are good comparisons. Like the glue of those shows, like each like 
episode is kind of like this its own standalone fiasco but you get to like experience that over and over again or see it at a kind of distance because like your perspective is someone who keeps visiting all these different ones yeah they're, it's it's cool though because they're they're like unified by theme or or like vision still. Yeah, or and like sometimes I feel like um in the story that's overall like more of a little joke. The like right after Purple Better one, the um the what Washington what orders? Yeah, like it's like these CIA people like uh talking about the importance of propping up uh the monarchy and. Sort of plans for main, like you know, gladio like control of, of the world. Um, and they talk about like unleashing uh, the word virus, which I like. I'm sure we're gonna talk more about that. Like, I, I, I'm sorry that this, this is gonna be the, the loosest episode of all time of anything. Um, that, that word virus, uh, B twenty three that comes back in multiple stories. You like giant twenty three or oh the number yeah the number twenty three itself. But then uh, I believe the because there's multiple uh, stories where it seems like some kind of like breakdown of society is already happening before the story starts. Like some of the stories are anticipating uh a collapse and other uh, other stories are like in the middle of it they look outside and there's people running around the streets the youth have gone wild oh yeah this giant 23 is one of those that starts us in in the middle of things right and that's like a whole that's one of one that's its own that's a standalone apocalypse right that seems to be one person but it's also that's a virus again he, he himself released good old dr Ban lee yeah i really that story was chilling because i i think that was the first story where there was like a, a an explicit villain and the and it, it explored to like put you in the mindset of this specific kind of like villainous person um the stories before felt like a sort of um like a fun like carnival of debauchery <laughs> This right. This, this one, N twenty three felt or willed. Yeah, it, it continued on like uh, Rick Servant was another one. They had like a villain. Yeah, that one was funny. <laughs> and it was funny. <laughs> no, it's also interesting too. Is uh, like I guess it shows like how plugged in. I think that William Burroughs is like one of those people like. I guess, like, weirdly enough, like, in a more sober way than Philip K. Dick, like, saw the seams of society. Um, but that one relies on, like, a, like, you know, like, some, like, government, like, MK Ultra type schemes, like, backfiring on them. But I was looking into it. Turns out, like, MK Ultra didn't become public knowledge until later in the 70s. This came out in 1973, and MK Ultra didn't get leaked until, like, 76 or something. So he, he I guess had if his you're... finger on mm-hmm. Pulse then. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure, like, he's the kind of guy whose uh, friendships might have been some of the people that were tested on for MKUltra. Like, if you live in, in San Francisco, there's a chance that you go into, like, some test because they say, like, you know, like, you need a little bit of money and they're like, here, do this for, you know, give you $1,000 and you drink the water, drink some water and, you know, it's laced with LSD. 
and you have this experience, you have no idea what's happening, and no one will believe you. Um, right, so that one, I guess we can just tell this one. This is a very short story, just to, for the audience, because, like, if you haven't read the, if you haven't read Exterminate, I'm sure you're, like, um, adrift right now. Um, yeah, so, like, the, sci- the scientists are, are the, the government's working on some, like, a mind control thing for the sake of perf- perfectly obedient citizenship. You know, supposedly to protect freedom, protect America from the from communists. They have to control <laughs> to control everyone, not to not to think that way. And they made they they found a virus that'll make people perfectly obedient. And for and like their host, like whatever, like their patient zero for that is this butler who's the perfect servant, who's perfectly compliant and everything. Um, <laughs> but then, like as soon as like. Once it's released, uh, they find out too late. Uh, it's not working the same way. Uh, what what happens? Everyone starts dying, or yeah, everyone starts uh, dying by their own hands. <laughs> oh yeah, the sneezing, <laughs> right? But he's he's perfectly in control. He reveals that Little <laughs> Bentley was actually the insidious Doctor Fu Manchu. <laughs> was a great. <laughs> Oh. Uh, like I was thinking, I mean, it would be like super awkward, and like I, maybe we need like uh, a scholar to to walk us through it. But it would be funny to read one of those old Fu Manchu stories. Yeah. But that's so funny. Like this, like super like yellow peril, like <laughs> like cartoon villain ever comes back again. I don't think not a repeat character. No, not a repeat. <laughs> it just comes in. And <laughs> spreads a, it spreads a deadly virus and and pieces out. Um, but it's such a great like reversal of the sort of like of Cold War paranoia. Like <laughs> it's it's so silly if you find that that actually comes true and that you play you were playing into it the whole time. And that reminds me of um, yeah. There's a lot of like I think like one of the main themes in the in this book that keeps coming back is sort of uh, the absurdity of government attempts at control, but also the complete, like, success of their domination. Or I don't know. It's like an anti-cop thing where the cops look incompetent and yet super powerful. Yeah, yeah. So I I definitely agree that control is probably the biggest theme there, there is. It, it is. It is. Right, it is funny yeah, that these people are ultimately incompetent. The, the control is definitely, definitely like complete and total because of I mean, not the individuals themselves, but just just the uh, systems involved that privilege them. Yeah, it's so interesting to like. There, you, sometimes you focus on on like the people that you think they have like their their finger on the pulse, like in. So in the story, um, I didn't have a list with me. Um, the one about the the one, the Scientology one. Ellie Smile. Ellie Smile, right? Like that guy's explicitly looking up, uh, is specifically researching methods of control or something. Um, but he's such a funny character. That's sort of like buttoned up. Like uh, you know, like the, the old version of like a noble savant, like one of those aristocratic Renaissance people 
who just master every a science. Renaissance man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like he he invents a a pill that works on that counteracts the Scientologist e meter, so you can have some guy infiltrate them. <laughs> and then it turns out that the that the pill gives you diarrhea. <laughs> and and in the end, like it's not even Scientology that gets him. You know, it, it, Scientology is shown as like this other thing of like this way of like giving yourself confidence. You know, waking upstat yourself. Um, and they're like, and, and they're done in by first like a guy that's being like controlled, who's got like a like a who's got a, this guy hold. I don't know, going on a kung fu rampage on a no no what is it? Um, oh man, that's a kind of complicated. There's like layers of that story. Yeah, they're, they're, they're like, like what cops between <laughs> like a street hippies brawl. and cops or something? Right. Or yeah. And that one is Right, there's there's that layer. There's the hippies and the cops that are fighting. There's the Sea Org. There's um this character who um who's like Ali's like caretaker. Is it Clinch? Clinch. Clinch, yeah. Yeah, there's that he and he's fighting like these he's he's there, he's fighting like with like some some I forgot why he starts fighting, actually. Is he fighting the same people? Because he, there's a backstory because Ali was this guy who has this condition where that makes him like have to like mimic other people. Yeah. Uh so we're getting kind of in the weeds. Um but it doesn't matter. Like, uh, yeah, this Clint, um, Ali dies, uh, when he go, uh, when Clint goes out to market, he gets into a fight. He kills the, the Lord. Lord Westfield. There's a huge brawl where some, some hippies fight back and some cower because there's, there's a bunch of like police thugs fighting them too in this, in this square. And then a landfill, like a, a landslide. <laughs> comes and <laughs> buries them all. <laughs> because the icy blackness of space, the ghost face of Ali smiles. <laughs> what a lovely button on it. Because the whole time, the story is kind of framed. And this is a cool thing that, uh, you know, that's why I'm okay just rep- repeating the film form thing over and over again. Uh, William Burroughs' narration uh, uses, like, Instead of just narrating imagery and events, he says camera zooms in, camera cuts to camera sees film. Film concern stops here. It's really interesting because it's a way that it's a way to it's a way to contextualize these abrupt transitions. Because sometimes it's in the realm of memory. Like even this story has that thing where. Clint is watching TV, and then he remembers the time that Ali went out and died. And it doesn't tell you that it's a flashback. It just cuts like how a movie would cut. And we, we buy it just about as easily. Mm-hmm. It's it's really cool. It makes it for like a really snappy thing. Although I did, I do admit, I had to, like, obviously just now I'm trying to recall the story. I was kind <laughs> a little turned around. Uh, but I got to, like, read that one over a few times. It's not. It's not the smoothest of of uh, writing to mm-hmm. to go through. Yeah, 
Yeah, maybe uh, maybe there was uh, some cut-up happening, but it was like a paragraph at a time. But the flow seems right, too, in a way. So punchy. Mm-hmm. It's really, really punchy. I like it for that. I know there's more to talk about with the control stuff. There's actually a really great line in the Purple Better one about control, but if you want to like talk about the film aspects because then because that becomes like the like a wrap around it all like there's a great speech at the end you know in the story the end about about yeah about film or about (laughs) this it is a sort of um metaphor but like and why it's more direct yeah i mean there's what a little like director there giving giving what the bartender Mm. Life advice, not life advice, but like advice for escape, for something better. Right, because he's like, um, because the bartender turned out to be an alien, and he's just like a like a small part of it of the alien. Yeah, that was project. The, the end, though. That was astronauts return. No, no, the, the astronauts return is the one. I really liked that story, if you want to talk about it for a minute. Um, I like the story part of it. I think it has the same problem as the Purple Better one, where it becomes a sort of uh, essay for a little while. That's the one about the kid who starts flying. Yeah. And then he goes to shave in his childhood house. It's like a metaphor it writes itself. That's like in the beginning portion of the of the book that there's a flow. This is before like it really goes into i guess it is like it's like it's got an essay but this is bef- before it um goes into before it settles into this pattern of stories of of cops and apocalypses right yeah it was a super early one do you like some of the essay takes on it though according to ancient legend their white race yeah. results from a nuclear explosion <laughs> what is now the gobi desert some thirty thousand years ago yeah, I guess that there is um there is some uh, apocalypse there too, just ancient apocalypse. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the um, nation of Islam. Say that uh, white people are created in a lab by this uh, devil called Yakub. I like that take. <laughs> I don't think they actually happened, but but to have a position like that is super. Uh, I want to say healthy, but it's <laughs> it's necessary. Yeah, and there's a you know there's a truth behind the truth there, you know not to I mean that's the most obvious thing and in a way I don't want to sound like um condescending paternalistic in how I say it, but you know like race is a construct is a pseudo scientific thing so it being from a scientist makes sense in a way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, a nuclear explosion too is um it's that vision of apocalypse that isn't you know, fire and brimstone raining down, you know, it's not a biblical plague. It's a man-made thing. Like, even the viruses... Man-made things? Like, man-made things. And, like, in like within the story. And, of course, coronavirus, a pandemic, uh... Et cetera, et cetera. Um, oh, that, that, was, that was all because of human behaviors, though. That's true. And some, yeah, it's true. We, we've gotten so, so big. Global warming. Oh, oh wait! Is that crazy in the end too? Like when it turns out, like part of the aliens' plan is to have more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Yeah. 
1973. I guess we we've been knowing about it. Like I know that it, that goes back, but it's crazy that he found the right one. I don't know. This was that era when they first were crying out about it, but pretty sure for a while at the 50s and 60s, they were concerned about like a second ice age. Because yeah, there was a, I know there was a there was a cold snap in the 70s that made people think there'd be another little like a little ice age. That's because there have been like those kinds of periods in the past. There was a little ice age in in the Middle Ages. Um, I thought that was because like a volcano erupting there. There's a volcanic, yeah. But there's also another one. There's actually this is a kind of kind of a crazy thing. Speaking of like man-made things, um, I, I I'm not sure how well backed up this is. This is you know third hand. I I saw it in a YouTube video, um, but uh, you know like uh, uh in north central america um the native people there like they had they didn't plant they didn't have like plantations exactly um or that wasn't like their main or that wasn't their only way of like of agriculture they had like these sort of controlled forests where you know they had like three sisters style of growing plants where just like this tree next to that type of tree would help keep away certain pests and grow this and like so it's not like they had plantations; they just had forests that they managed. It's like a a planned forestry. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, and then when uh, European settlers came, and you know, you led to a huge, you know, mass death event. Uh, the the forests weren't tended to in the same way, and a lot of the forests grew back, and they absorbed so much carbon that it actually did drop the global temperatures in the world. And that led to a huge constriction of agriculture in Europe, and what, like what, that that led to one of the little ice ages. It's fascinating. Yeah, if big, if true, uh, true. A, li- a little bit of of payback for the mutated <laughs> uh, nuclear blasted whites. Yeah, that's crazy. If true, um, so there have been like yeah these like little historical, but that's one that is you know w- without our knowledge influenced by behaviors. By people. I mean, we're, we're such a part of it that we're, we're so ingrained within that system. There's so many repercussions mm. or, or like little waves in, in the pond when you throw a, throw a pebble. And it's so much more, you know, like I wish, I wish uh, Fu Manchu would show up and be like, oh, it was me all along. <laughs> but, but like these things are, are, are so much more chaotic. Oh, but I think that an interesting character or sets of characters, I don't know, like this uh, Matryoshka doll um, construct is in the story When Die, You Die, We Die. Yeah. Did I get that order right? When Die, We Die, You Die. It was a crazy read. I, I thought that, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to end up in the story now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he's. I did have the same thought, even just reading it. Like we were, um, uh, yeah. Let's have, like, there's a great place to talk about like, the the metafiction, the fictions in. Um, I think like a uh, constant that might come up a lot as we go in this uh, book club is 
I really liked uh, um, the King in Yellow, like the idea that the, <laughs> like that this book could like unleash things, could get inside your brain and change you. Like this is like this felt like a story kind of about that. And like we're just reading the book too. Like this one, if there was a book to make you crazy, <laughs> it'd be this one. If it if it went a little bit longer, maybe um, yeah. Uh, but this wind die is also is that one is so <laughs> delirious and that the story kept being like this horrible thing is happening cut to oh uh mr and mr anderson can see you now and it was someone who was reading a story about that and then they go up and they start sharing this other cataclysm that's gonna happen so it's it's just these <laughs> these nested like uh oh I don't know uh, calamities that don't just that don't pay off they just kind of build. So it was music terms like like crescendos and then it it chills yeah. out and rests for a bit it crescendos again. Mm. Yeah, it's it just it's interesting because I, I like if I like zoom in on any of these particular fictions, it's so interesting that while this is happening, the narrator's like. While this, like, apocalypse is happening, like, so, the first, uh, what is it? I don't get the, I guess it doesn't matter what the order is exactly. I mean, so the, fir- the first one was... Is the wind dying. Or Puerto de los Santos. Right, right. And just by some luck of geography, there's a wind current that keeps out, like, uh, stagnation and uh, pestilence. The bugs... Yeah, mosquitoes and swamp. But then it turned out that that was a story, and someone's reading it. They read the next story, and it's these uh, uh, scorpion-tailed uh, women with uh, the, the crawling breasts. About to what? About to take over this like small town? Like Just when things are about to get good in that story, it cuts to this old guy who's wants to have a meeting with someone important and in in style this this narrator is very similar to the one from the first story within the story because the first guy's like actually i wrote a thesis about the wind dying and then it's like a similar guy who's like i have a thesis about virus replication outside the host cell trees is theoretical of course i've not come here to discuss theories mr anderson come to warn you that virus replication outside the host cell is now an accomplished fact like that's so interesting because i think that that gets at like this tension that's happening in this story and maybe throughout the book is uh, like that line between fiction and reality being super permeable is it in a short trip home or in the lemon kid um you know one of these uh you know they both come back and ready so like, i feel like it's like one world but it's like one where like um I don't know, like these these boys are fucking and turning into werewolves or turning into foxes and but it starts as someone writing an autobiography as a fiction yeah. of animals and then from the story one of the characters in that comes back on a stage like doing a show and then that kind of kind of spreads like he starts doing a lemon mouth at everyone he starts if he sucks a lemon at you or something then I don't know that changes you in some way, but, but that's outside. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, this line between uh, fiction and and reality being being permeable, like that's that's one way it comes back. It it is introduced earlier. 
Yeah, but if this virus replication thing, then it turns out, then it cuts away, like, before we even know, like, what the full extent of what this virus problem is. And it's someone else who, who is reading a story. And they all have different thoughts. They all, they all go like, oh, what an interesting story. I want to see how that ends. But I have to deal with this thing. And the, the last one, the, the narrator is so, like, he speaks in such a weird way. Like it, like that guy sounds like Chat GPT. Yeah, a little bit. A little uh, robotic. <clears throat> Chat GPT is fascinating, though. What a crazy fucking thing. I think that Chat GPT is, I think, is an interesting thing to be in conversation with Burroughs. Isn't, um, like, the way Chat GPT works, isn't that, like, cut up in a way? It's like a dark mirror to it. Um, because like it just like has a bank of phrases, and it mixes them up just in like based on its sampling of how certain types of questions or statements are responded to, and rejumbles those words. So it's it is it is a scary dark mirror though. It's it's a weird reversal though. Yeah, because instead of like like the part of the cut up like the reason for the cut up thing is that, um. It's it's a way of circumventing um, kind of like ruts that have been built in your brain. It's a way of like putting things together that wouldn't be together, or like breaking out of patterns. It's, it's really, it's really nice resistance against control. And yeah, and, and you know, like these algorithms are the exact opposite. There's no. It's about replicating with it as best as it can those patterns that you're trying to break uh, you know you know what i could talk about again <laughs> what uh delusian concept of war machine of uh systems of escape <laughs> versus systems of control and and how they like interact with each other in such a way where they'll like appropriate these uh techniques so Burroughs employed cut-up method as a counter of control yes. and, and huh. <laughs> kind of organized his thoughts in a way that, like, <laughs> lends itself to, to, like, resistance of that control. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, yeah, like, when this, this thing comes back. I was captured by this dang, dang AI. That is really interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna... This kind of comes back to... Um, I'm gonna bring it back to the story, but, um, or... Let me try to find the quote here. Because uh, it's like, it's one of the apocalypses that one of these guys. First it's Mr. Seward, and then it's... Oh, that was a funny moment. Um, you can see Miss Blankship now, Mr. Tomlinson. In focusing my face, Thompson is the name. Oh, yes, Mr. Thompson. <laughs> if you'll just scare to step this way. Uh, um, <laughs> like the way like reality just sort of shifts. Like, okay, so you misread a name, and for a while, that's the name. <laughs> um, but... Uh, uh, let's see. Because he's saying, like, it's not a communist plot. It's, in a way, it's opposite. Uh, I'm looking to. Yeah, this sounds like it's, it's such a random. <laughs> um, what can you do for your own reflection many times removed, of course? Or to put it another way on the subject of wrongness, how wrong do you think you generally are? I don't believe I understand you, Mr. Bentley. In that case, I will make yourself clear. No, Mr. Capwell, this is not a communist plot. It is simply the mirror image of such a plot, many times removed and apparent to you as such because you believe <laughs> that it is. But, 
You know, of course, it is a common measure of like left prolapsus. <laughs> Prophylaxis. Prophylaxis, thank you. To shoot a cow, the aftosa, and the reasonable cow would not object to this procedure if that cow had been indoctrinated <laughs> with proper feelings of duty toward the bovine community at large. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Like, he just, like, jumps <laughs> between all these things. Like, um, like, all you're sure is that he's he wants something really violent to happen, and he thinks it's very urgent because something even more violent could happen. And the reason of it is because of this, I don't know, this funhouse, what do you call it, uh, feedback loop of retaliation? Uh, yeah. That's how, like, the, the thing of, like, the, and, and now I'm realizing, too, like, um, what he's talking about is one sneeze is inconsequential, whereas a thousand consecutive sneezes might well, might as well prove fatal. And then he's saying that it's not a communist plot, but the mirror image of the plot. And that is kind of, you know, like, some details aside, that's the, that's the Fu Manchu thing. Like the CIA spread this thing afraid of of Red China takeover, and they ended up sneezing themselves to death. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's such an interesting thing to to. I mean, it's the book at its most. Like, I'm just gonna throw out this imagery and these uh, semiotically loaded phrases or words, and you know, you you do what you want with them. It, it, It it comes down to themselves. Right, and like the focus on images too, on, on images causing this thing. Like later, I, going back to the film thing, um, there's so many moments where a narrator describes himself as. I'm thinking of the scene where someone's got their 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 butt on, on film. Oh, is that the one where the where the cops go crazy seeing red? Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the one. Or it's like around there. If it's not that one, it's like really close. It's a powerful one. Yeah, that one is really <laughs> that one. That one also feels like like if you were to like take like a I don't know, like a curve and just extrapolate linearly from a single point. Like at some point, like that story is like these cops go crazy over a pornographic image, and they all just can't stop staring at it. And then all the cops in the world seemingly just like rush to it. And crowd the like this house as they're bursting out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there, there, there is there is a power to this imagery and, and what what we're imagining <laughs> out of them. Yeah, yeah. Like I thought you're saying, um, there's a power to the image that they're looking at. Like the image has a power over them. But yeah, like the the image, the imagery painted in the book of these cops like becoming like like water, like like the zombies in World War Z. That is a really powerful imagery that, that really fits, like, turning cops into, like, this um, de-individualized, like, mass of rage. It works. It's, 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 it works so well to take take that short story that, I don't know, in, in that direction that far. Yeah, like, there's so much great, like, um, cop stuff. Like, I was going to say, like, anti-cop stuff, but um, just in general, like, just, like, looking at them, like, anthropologically... You know, because, like, your average cop, like, they're they're probably not living super comfortably. And yet, they're, like, the main tool for the people that live the most comfortably. Oh, what's, 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 uh, the, what's the comparison? They're, I mean, they're, they're like dogs for the rich. 
Yeah, I was gonna say like lumpen, like they're lumpen proletariat. Um, was that word choice? Lumpen. What is that? The I forgot where the, the I think that's from. Uh, the eighteenth Brumaire. Like, like that's like the, the word like Marx uses for lower class people that aren't like um in labor. They're not like proletarianized. Proletarianized. Like they're. I guess like the the. Like lumpen would be like the word for like riffraff or uh you know. lacked oh lacked awareness of their collective interests as an uh, oppressed class. Right, like cops are a little different because they are kind of organized, right? They do have um, probably the most uh, supported unions of any <laughs> of any group of people, but it's a very exclusive union. It's just like it's just a sort of club that they belong to. Yeah, like the word lumpen, I guess, would be like a little bit more disorganized than that. I see what you're going for, though. Yeah, I'm sure like someone has, like, police and that term have existed side by side for for a while now. So I'm sure someone has made that up. Almost like what? Has found a way to bring them together. It's like a sellout, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Javert kind of personifies that. Who? Sorry? Javert from Les Miserables. Javert. Yeah. Oh yeah. The cop that came from like nothing <laughs> and mm-hmm. assumed we had like a criminal background, but like did did not have that mm-hmm. awareness to wanna act for his fellow oppressed. Right. He has no sense of morality. Like I'm I'm I'll be honest, I'm talking exclusively about the musical. <laughs> um uh but yeah, he has no sense of like morality besides his duty. Um and that's based on like this kind of like image of himself as a cop. Like, I'm going to go back to like, the image thing, like, the, the seeing yourself, you know, as 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 a film, as a kind of if not protagonist of a film, like, a, a valuable part in the story. Like, hope we can still go back to other stuff. I'm going to talk, like, in... I, I love that on-set language used in the end, where the bartender is talking to the, the cop he doesn't like. Yes. Yeah. How do, how do what, take back ownership of you have on set to kind of live in the here and now right like yeah like living in the here and now is this thing that's like repulsive in some way scary in some way but also like the thing you need and being on set like being embedded in a story or you know a framing that you know you understand like in purely like movie terms gives you that feeling it's really powerful medium choice these short stories and and delve into the concept of film with them yeah and it's uh i think it's really powerful that it's like it's the medium itself like it's not like every one of these people is in one movie but it feels like it's a bunch of movies like being projected at the same time yeah how many of you people can live without film coverage maybe you can't forget you were ever a cop or a priest a writer everything you ever thought and did and said and said behind and walk right out of the film. There's no place to go. It's radical. That's radical. That's <laughs> the film isn't there anymore, Clancy. The spring is gone from your from your the spring is gone from your sap. Strength sags from your good right arm, cold and wood in your fingers. And on that phrase, what happened to your cligit pigeons, Clancy? That came up earlier, I think in the purple better one. Yeah. Cause that's when like that's cause he's talking because he talks about like how cops are like this sort of like frustrated thing. And that's like the little moment of pathos. Like I used to watch pigeons. Like, like there was a person in there once. One time, 
What kept you doing it, Clancy? It was the feeling you were on set knowing you had a part in the film. Film covered you just like the white stuff covers a junkie. No mind shaving and dressing. You didn't mind doing these things. Oh, man. So long as the film covered you while you were on the cops. That's cutting. I got th- it's like, that's also like where I see like, okay, how could that be cut up? It's so coherent. It's such a, like a razor sharp, um, like observation. I guess where it can be cut up, it, it is a razor sharp observation where it can be cut up is some of the formatting, um, mm, the punctuation's yeah. a little off. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that like makes you like, cause sometimes I, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out the way to read it in my head like it's not exactly like i actually i was reading i read um all the pretty horses a little while ago and you know cormac mccarthy like he every like he'll only use periods like he'll rarely use a comma but it sounds um but really difficult go on sorry (laughs) oh yeah and sometimes it is because he'll do like these run-on sentences but you can find a way to read them out loud. In some ways, it's easier to read the book, the book out loud. I'd be like my my small brain, maybe, because it's it's written in a very conversational or or sometimes biblical, but in this sort of sonorous way, where just like sort of the rhythm of the words, like the placement of subject and verb and all that. Like you can you see like where the breaks are supposed to go, and yeah, it's like this feels a little bit more challenging in that respect. It's, it's hard to figure out like okay where where am i supposed to stress here where yeah <laughs> am i pausing saying what so i might have come from you know i don't know like what this is later in his in his career i'm not sure if if he ever when or if burroughs ever kicked drugs i'm not sure what his approach was to editing his works be, besides the famous uh cut up thing i think he got off at some point his his life is rather chaotic Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite sure right. where this work fell in that. But I think this was after he got off of heroin, I believe. Collegiate was an earlier work. It was 1959. This was 73. Yeah, that's some distance. I don't know. Like, I don't, actually, I don't know enough to, like, know where to take that uh, that line of inquiry. I just, I, I was wondering just how automatic the process is. Like, how much is it, like, a, you know, like, I just got to get this just got to get this out, you know, and how much is sort of uh, considered and like, ah, yeah, I think this comma should go here. Um, I, I would believe for this book, I'll believe either end of it. So I, I know with like, is his friend Kerouac, like, and Kerouac released on the road pretty rather quickly is, is like the, right. He famously wrote that like as one big scroll. That's like the, the folk tale behind it. Mind you, I, I do believe that he probably, like, walked around with a journal or, like, kind of journaled these events, mm. like, h- had notes. That makes sense. That's the only way I can write anything is, like, sporadic, like, uh, fragments. It's, it's, it's the moments of, you know, you're, you're in the shower and it's like, oh, I, I, have, an, I have an idea all of a yeah. sudden. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta write that down before I forget. Yeah. Like, how can that not be anyone, like, part of anyone's process or, I don't know, different people, different strokes? Maybe, maybe if you're the type of person, maybe math really helps. <laughs> no, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah, cut this out of context. Math helps. Oh, I misheard you. This oh, math. Oh, <laughs> math. Oh, no, that. <laughs> no. no, math. Math helps. Math helps. 
Methmite drinking my my two apparently. <laughs> it's the same right drunk at a sober. Oh right, is that attributed to Hemingway? Yeah, I think I think in spirit there's because you have to you have to get things out. What was I gonna say? Okay, to answer your question though, like mm-hmm. for me for me this feels pretty planned. Mm, yeah, Again, rather. Yeah, like the way things come back, the way the rhythms of everything. There's hits. some advanced techniques in, involved in not only writing these short stories, but uni- unifying them in such a way. Right. Like, yeah, if someone could simply write this just like that, God, it just wouldn't be fair. <laughs> wouldn't be fair. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he, he probably wrote this oh. individual stories themselves pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, like not to take away from the spontaneity of like some of this stuff. A ton of editing after that spontaneity happened. It's like, okay, I have to, I have to clean yeah. this up now. That's that's my take. Yeah, that feels right to me. I think you're right. Plus, like, man, I really wish there was like, I, you know, it's like one of those things where I miss college is like having like the free access to JSTOR. Yeah, I do. I do miss that access. I'm gonna find a quote about from the Purple Better one that I thought was like really powerful. There's a lot of powerful ones there. Yeah, like that when you said that that bit that you read about um, like white stuff out of a junkie on a what, there's like that thing. I guess it's like obviously when he, when he like calls money, where he compares money yeah. to junk, and that's an interesting thing. Like I don't know, like virus replicating outside of the body. Like it's that or language being a virus or. like money like having its own logic is that's the kind of stuff that's like really scary is like these people in charge they're not really in charge they're addicts they're they're following their own like uh their own uh you know whatever the the stuff that they're slaves to right um you know and then it turns out actually it's aliens orchestrating it all putting making everyone be on set (laughs) and play these parts (laughs) it was actually uh fu manchu fu manchu yeah, there's like some really cool lines in that in the, in the story. There's like, we are real, 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 real as this nightstick. What's happening in America today is something that has never happened before in recorded history. Total confrontation. Well, I think I found it. Point five, the disappearing dollar. There's something wrong with the whole concept of money. It takes always more and more to buy less and less. Money is like junk. Those that fixes on Monday won't fix on friday there was something too yeah that, that was that's a, yeah, it's a great like little thing it almost sounds like he's gonna to, like talk about just like inflation but like he gets it like a, the deeper thing i think in the confrontation part too oh yeah right after that uh the total confrontation there's this beautiful thing like the lies are obvious the machinery is laid bare all americans are being shoved by the dead weight of a broken control machine right in front of each other's faces like or not they cannot choose to see and hear each other how many americans will Survive a total confront. But, like, <laughs> like that and that stuff too, where he imagines like Earth as a prison planet where or America's a prison nation where thirty percent of the population is in jail. And like they become like a big voting block. <laughs> um the, the the broken control machine forcing everyone to like face each other. So it's like wh- what happens if like these fantasies break away? Uh, like I don't know, like that I feel like that applies so well to to the current boomer meltdown that we're in right now. Yeah, I, I agree. There, there's a lot that felt, um, not for sharing, that's not the word, for, for telling. Um, not oracular, no. 
I know exactly what word you're looking for. I'm pretty <laughs> prophetic. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was something about the purple one or better purple one that felt very prophetic to. Yeah. Like, okay. A monkey running for president. How about a freaking Cheeto? Am I? Am I... <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, like he's yeah, like, like... <laughs> the boomer meltdown that's going on right now. With, with, all, with all the film comparisons going on and, and from being hooked on coverage, there I mean, there's a lot of right, right. around and, TikTok and, and it's politics right now. Yeah. Um, right. It's not even fake news. Like, uh, the fake news thing, like, we're all done with that. But this ability for, for um, like, media to get us hooked on on, on, on a narrative. Uh, but it's interesting how... Sorry, yeah, like, can I pause perfect. you real quick? Yeah, go ahead. And media gains hooked on the concept of going viral. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, William Perot, he was he was ahead of everything. He saw the. All right, let's go viral. We got yeah. this. I mean, I think there's something beyond like the pun. Like it's 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 a great like vi- virality is a great metaphor for how like ideas spread. And like I think what's interesting about that is that it's not just spread but mutate. Yeah. And. They're unleashed by someone, but outside of that, it's out of their control. Um, oh, like you, uh, speaking of control and unleashing things, um, so I don't, I, I don't mean to, 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 to pimp you out, uh, cause we haven't talked about like the ultimate like control fantasy story in this, the discipline of DE. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> and, um, I'll let you, uh, uh, you also said something about that story feeling like a—I don't know the word that I'm gonna get it wrong. Like at least like something like a sigil. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Very grimoire, magical thinking type type of thing. So yeah, I'll, I'll let's let's cover that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just like um, speaking for, of course, everyone in the audience and not myself. Like, what is a sigil exactly? I mean, that's like a sort of um, like a collection of symbols that put to people like have an inherent power or something. Yeah. So I'll explain what a sigil is first and we, we could do a little dive into the discipline of D.E. Yeah. Or, or doing easy. Um, yeah, what a breezy story. Yeah, so okay, go ahead, go ahead. No, it was it was good. It was, it was a nice little uh, break from the apocalyptic visions. Yeah. <laughs> so a, a sigil is these pictorial or linguistic uh, pieces that are arranged in such a way they they tend to look very very. Um, appealing there's a there's a level of artistry involved right mm-hmm. in, in how they're arranged so you you arrange that ultimately expressing something you desire right and then you have to achieve a state of gnosis um so gnosis that's like uh, greek for knowledge yeah yeah this, this like psychological peak Right, mm. and in, okay. in, uh, you, you could achieve that in numerous different ways these days. It could be drug induced. It could be induced by orgasm. 
is a very easy shortcut that people use. <laughs> the post not clarity. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> or, or that that. Uh, or being clear in Scientology. That's that's not the state you want. Is the state right before that 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 uh that climax right? That, that's like say, no, so you achieve that and then you burn the sigil, forget about it, and then sooner or later your desired currents will will happen. Okay. Um, so if I, so it's like if you like if you're like at a like if you're at a, in a psychologically heightened state, then interacting with certain symbols um will like produce an effect in the world or you know in your life or, you know, I'm, or, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to like secularize it too much no, but, right, um, no it's fine too uh, so you know that that depends on your overarching theory of, of how you want to approach this right so it could affect your, your inter- interaction with that symbol will affect the imagery and other symbols around you and it's meaningful, like what the symbol is. Like it's not just like you take anything. Like the way that AA says, like higher power doesn't matter what the higher power is. So like something the medium is the message, but there's something meaningful about those symbols specifically in the way they're yeah, arranged. To, to to you or to your your larger community, right? There, there has to be a sense of power in, in that arrangement. Um, and okay, so. Um, all right, and like I said, like, um, we can talk about DE first and how how this applies. Right. Okay. So let's talk about doing easy. <laughs> so it opens with retired Colonel Sutton Smith. He's um, you know, retire at home. Yeah, I'll say like it feels like the story isn't exactly like just focusing on him as a character. It feels like this is like, like a tape he mails out to people. Yeah, yeah, or, or like a like like a pamphlet, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I imagine he's working on is either a tape or pamphlet, and he's going over his his process of of how how he lives his his life of doing easy. So he the hardest part of the story is going over these techniques, right? Like. How how can you always reliably throw that trash from behind your back and in, into the waste bucket? And it's, it's super super <laughs> methodical, is... right? Mm-hmm. Of of uh oh, gotta clear the cardboard out of this space, or I gotta make sure this is out of the way. I gotta make sure I don't stub my toe against the uh, this chair. If I do, then the chair is not where it's supposed to be for me doing easy. Yeah, it's an interesting, like, almost like how a Zen, you know, a Zen master will, like, focus on, like, the arrangement of a garden as a sort of conduit for um, general enlightenment. Uh, Like, there's so much, like, emphasis put on just, like, working so hard to make these little things easy, (laughs) easy, eventually, in some way, easy. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but this idea that if you, like, apply yourself to these tiny things that you normally don't think about, then suddenly everything else will fall into place. And like this description of things just coming out right, you know, like that, um, I, I wish I, I should quote the book, but whatever. It's like, you're all like the, the, the side of the pillow that you're on. It always is the exact right one. And like when you get, put your feet out of the, out of the bed, like you're, you're, 
her feet go perfectly and slide perfectly into the slippers. And that just is satisfying. It's such a great description of like how you like you imagine your life going ideally. I don't know. Like you think like I'm gonna go to the gym and then like yeah, I'm gonna turn my life around, and go to the gym, and like on the way to the car you trip on your own shoelaces. <laughs> it, it, suddenly like the, your your idea of what's perfect and like the small just the friction of existing suddenly brings you back to reality and like this thing like promises promises like if you can do away that friction everything else will come all fall into place yeah but how does it start like it's like this pamphlet or whatever is um trying to find a recipient like this this uh relaxed knowledge of existence is just waiting to find a host to to go back to the viral language uh cold dry windy day clouds blowing through the sky sunshine and shadow dead leaf brushes my face red brick houses trees vacant lots bright and bright and windy back in the cab through empty streets when i reach the fourth floor it looks completely unfamiliar as if seen through someone else's eyes i hope you find your way red brick houses trees the address and empty streets and then it talks then it starts going off on colonel sutton smith like versus like this image of like desolation and emptiness yeah and i hope you find your way the address in empty streets <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, between those those lonely images is the discipline of de colonel issues beginners um, de de is the way of doing yeah <laughs> the way of doing everything you do yeah i keep wanting to go back to breezy it's it's a very intoxicating uh read you're like yeah i can do this um but it's like this um this passage like has that quality like it, that could be a sigil too like this arrangement of words yeah this this practice this desire of having everything operate smoothly if you do all these little bits and pieces and interact with these <laughs> things or images or objects in your mm-hmm. life in such a way. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like, you say that you, um, to interact with the sigils, you have to first achieve a state of gnosis. But, um, like, it almost seems like that's the end goal of DE. Like what you want is just that state. Um, maybe, yeah, that state of elation of like, oh yes, everything's I mean, going so smooth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or maybe the state of gnosis in DE is is that realization of that turnaround moment of oh, right when it clicks. And uh, <laughs> I hate to be meta. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'll delete this. <laughs> um, when you're, uh, you know, but like and like these gestures, like these practice that you practice over and over again. I guess if you're a dancer, every movement carries with it some kind of semiotic weight. Um, but if you're a character in a story, then uh, you know everything about your existence is a collection of symbols. Yeah. Like if you're, you know, if you're in a film, then at you know, then at the end of the day, you're just colors. We're all just little atoms bouncing around. <laughs> like what is? anything but certain things in a certain order in a, in a collection in a in a collage <laughs> given a context you want to be too universalist or generalized about everything sure. 
Um, I guess interesting to kind of close out DE mm-hmm. is is that the colonel starts talking about this this uh, opponent, right? The beginner oh. can think of DE as a game. You're running an obstacle obstacle course, the obstacle set up by your opponent. As soon as you attempt to put DE oh. into practice, you'll find that you have an opponent very clever and persistent and resourceful with detailed knowledge of your weaknesses and above all experts in diverting your attention for the moment necessary to drop a plate on the kitchen floor. Oh, I forgot about that detail. Yeah, who or what is this opponent that makes you slip, drop, and fumble, <laughs> slip, and fall? Grodick and Freud called it that- the IT, a built-in self-destructive mechanism. Mr. Hubbard calls it the reactive mind. That's, I mean, that's telling because that goes in, that, that falls into... Not just like any new age cosmologies, but you know, you could even go back to ancient religions. Like when I was talking about like the friction of daily living, I forgot about this like framing. But there's a there's that's kind of rich because the I mean, essentially the colonel is like a military figure, so of course, like he'd be thinking about the adversary. Like, what can we do? Um, and it's this thing that's like as long as this thing is this adversary is there, then your control won't be will be contested right you'll never be doing easy if you have that average you have to <laughs> yeah you have to work hard to keep things easy um a, a little pun with gnosis but like uh, the gnostics right they have like the idea of the demiurge of reality itself being Mirror. this kind of evil thing it's mirrored image um, mirror in, yeah <laughs> right but there's also like a nice way to sell something too like that way like it's not like it's not just like your own fault but it's other thing you can attribute things to it's dr fu manchu or <laughs> doctor i would have given him a doctor now <laughs> uh did you watch um donnie darko uh yeah i did ye- years ago do you remember that that teacher that got really into i think it was patrick swayze's um like self-help tapes oh vaguely it was like a new age thing, but he was like, he had a cosmology that there was like the light and the dark, and it's like, and she was like, "Oh, can you put this into into the light or into the dark?" <laughs> it's funny that uh, it's funny that Harvard was name dropped into this. It corrects me. Harvard, that means it's legit. Right? Yeah, yeah. With 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 the five thousand dollar e meters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I I looked up how much the e meter cost. I was I was very <laughs> curious after reading. <laughs> this and it's like oh nope that's and i found out too, i was because you got me reading about that i'm looking at i was looking at i read apparently nowadays if you want to buy a new e-reader you have usually you're buying it because someone is selling stuff they shouldn't be like they you know they pinched it from scientology um but it might it's it's good for up to a year because now it's built in with the like firmware updates so it'll like freeze on you if it's not connected to their servers. If Scientology's IT department doesn't uh... excuse me, what? Real? Yeah, yeah. They'll break. They'll break your e meter if <laughs> if it didn't stay in the family. Wow! Wow, that really brought me down. <laughs> I know. I know you wanted to uh, to perform a self auditing. I know you wanted to to become clear. To uh, stand or whatever. Yeah, to upstand. <laughs> Uh, that's so fun. like he really comes to Scientology. I forget that it comes up like more than once. 
in this book. He uh, he has some issues with them. Like when he like when they come, like he talks about Sea Orc being a bunch of like ineffectual, uh, like useless people. Um, <laughs> he makes a Scientologist guy look like the most like pathetic <laughs> worm. But also like the one of the stuff that's appealing. Like he's feeling he's feeling bad for being unconfident. So he's like, I have to find a way to upstop myself. So when he finds trouble, he's like elated. And he remembers the L. Ron Hubbard thing about just be there when you need to be or something. It's it's interesting that the sense of confidence is oh, like what oh, like the thing like yeah, like like what I was saying before, like the gnosis is the thing that you you know, in this DE thing is isn't the thing that you wheel to achieve a purpose but it is the end goal in the in the de thing at least like it's not like to like whatever you don't like burn the sigil and forget about it you like stay in this like holding the sigil like frenzy um i i so i i would hope for a certain point of doing easy theoretically that it would become so easy easy that you forget the process Right, ideally, and then you can do what you want, become president of France, whatever. <laughs> Any language you've ever heard before, you know it. That's right, and like all these languages, they're actually just uh, there's a what is it? there's a base rhythm, and you can learn it if you just. There's actually a thesis about this. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So funny again. Again, it's like not any curiosity about the specific language, but about the fantasy of being able to master it all at the same time. That's that's the story that I started to read very grimoire uh, esque. <laughs> it's just a hidden song beneath the beneath our our supposed knowledge. A lot of those medieval manuscripts came up with a lot of like crazy promises. If if you master this process or use these magic <laughs> magic squares, like generate gold out of air or have the ability to fly <laughs> yeah we all just want like ways to i have a book uh about like witchcraft in like a uh, colonial in, in new spain whatever like in latin what we would now call it in america uh, about like witchcraft in in colonial guatemala and there's a story about a woman going to the local witch like a christian woman going to the local witch and the witch went like, okay, this man will fall in love with you if you take your pee and splash it around his house. Did it work? No. No, she was arrested. Oh. <laughs> Aren't? <laughs> <laughs> but the but you can imagine the state that she goes in to be like, oh, I gotta try that. I gotta try I tried everything. To mark my territory? <laughs> I guess that was the yeah, there is something, uh, you know, there's something that tracks, like, metaphorically. If not, if not, you know, uh, in causal reality, then at least in the world of dreams. I don't know, there, there's pharaohs or whatever. Pharaohs, yeah. Maybe it would have worked if you didn't get caught. <laughs> that's like a fascinating book. That sounds um, like a really cool read. <laughs> yeah, it's called uh, Women Who Live Evil Lives. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, the, the title leaves a bit to be desired, but... Yeah, I think like they call it's because in Spain they call those women like um, mujeres de mal vivir. I guess like mal vivir is like bad living, but like I guess like that can have like, maybe in the time it had a more dark connotation. So women who live evil lives is the title. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, I think 
I think we touched on a lot of the cool things. Like this is such a cool book that like in a in a cut up way of of like you don't know what uh meaning or you know aesthetic effect will come from putting two things together you wouldn't expect. I feel like with this book, uh I I I I you could put any story next to any other story and some, you know, some earned it more than others, like some invite comparison. But like just talking about any story, you know, like we just drop references to any of the other ones. Like there's a, such a cool gestalt that forms out of like all these desperate separate things. Like this is going to be like a like a beat read for me for beat read. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, like, if I go on a trip, I, I can't start. I can't think of starting a new book. Like I might want to revisit this. Yeah, maybe maybe change the order of things, or it's definitely yeah. something to read in, in just any order. You know, just pick up, start in the middle of things. Yeah, there is a run that I really enjoyed where um, it like each story would start with the last phrase in the at the end of the story before. Yeah, like at the the return of the the astronauts uh, return, starts with there is no face in the tarnished mirror, and then the next story is my face, and that one that's a cool story too. That felt like that could have been a story, you know, with some that could have been something out of uh, King and Yellow or something. These do fit in the general vibe of like King and Yellow, though, for sure. Yeah, the the weird like apocalyptic thing too, like the the way King and Yellow has like this like other world like the sort of like semi-dictatorship version of america that's at war with germany and yeah the emperor of america (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) there's a yeah like that that's a book that kind of broke reality for its own purposes but yeah no like we could like we could like keep talking but i think like is is there anything else i want to um talk about with exterminator before we close out um i i think i think we hit the big and find stories. I don't necessarily have a favorite story, so I'm not sure if I'll ask you yours. I, I mean, as a, like, there's very few, some of these, like, I, I don't know if they work completely standalone. Like, some are, they just feel like fragments of this. There's a thing going on. Yeah, like, like I'm, like, looking through a peephole at a horror, like, a, a world where everything has gone wrong. <laughs> for, for a standalone story... I know we didn't get to talk about it because it doesn't really connect to much of the rest of the story of the book. I mean, um, but the what's it called? Um, the one with the phantom hit. Which one? The the, the immaculate hit. Uh, the one. Immaculate. The little Christmas story. Oh, the priest they called the... him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That one was, that felt like, immediately, you know, it creates a world, it has this character, this sort of, like, um, like, we don't have that so much, I kind of don't have that so much anymore, this sort of um, guy at the edges of society that everyone kind of knows, like, in the neighborhood, and they call him the priest, he's just like a, like a morphine addict, who's, like, trying to get by for Christmas, he's having a hard time. He gets a little bit from the doctor. <laughs> he goes uh, before he gets to do it. When he when he goes home, he someone else is like in pain. Oh, but this story does come back because that phrase "my legs and yours" comes back later. This story, right? But, actually, um, it, it feels like a direct continuation. Yeah. It is. It's gotta be. 
<laughs> yeah, so many, so yeah, so I guess like we could like we could talk about this book for hours. It, it is, a, I really like this book. Uh, <laughs> but later, he's like, yeah, he's got like like pain, so he gives him the last of his morphine, the last of his morphine, and he's like, I guess, I guess Christmas will have to be sober. And then suddenly he feels it and washes over him. It's the immaculate hit, what a Christmas miracle. He gets to be high after all. Look, that is him dying, right? Oh, is that how? I thought I read that completely as a happy story. <laughs> yeah, maybe he's ODing. Uh, just, just, just old age finally got him. Oh, and that's the immaculate fix. Oh, I guess since he himself was a priest, there was no need to call one. I guess I'm just thinking about like the holy, how the holy nature of this, uh, <laughs> the universe granting him this favor. That ended happily, though. I, I don't know. He, he, he did get his. Yeah, live or die. That's. I'm sure that's how you'd want to go. Uh, you know, if you're in, in the priest position. Right. It's a clever word. Voices, though, immaculate hit. That feels like something that, like, um, like, around, like, people, like, a, like, a sort of, like, a folk legend that addicts might have told each other in the 60s. Like, <laughs> like I heard that, like, sometimes, like, it'll just come to you. Did you hear about the priest? You ever heard the immaculate hit, man? <laughs> The priest got it. We can't too. The priest got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe even telling the story, like, and then he died. Like, how would you know that? I was like, no, that's just the story. That's what I heard, man. Shit, uh, man. Don't ask me details like that. Guys, come on. Just like let him believe. This <laughs> Actually, a little more little misadventures with the priest. Yeah, he could be a. I, I wouldn't mind if he was a, a recurring character. You ever seen the movie Drugs for Cowboy? Oh, I love that I movie. I think you know, Burroughs himself kind of acted as, as the priest in the park scenes. Yeah. I remember him. Man, that's like a haunting. Like, he looks so, like, I mean, because he was old, but he, he looks so deflated in that in that movie. It's like the priest, like, after he cleaned up and, like, what's left of his life. Yeah. I gotta see that movie again. It's been it years. So, it was so good. But he does, like, I mean, you believe it. when If it's Burroughs, like... <laughs> You do believe that this is someone who's lived life by the sword, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fugitive in Algiers and it is. <laughs> right. Mexico. Where do you where does all the places he lived? New York. Uh oh, New Orleans. He lived in New Orleans for a while. I mean these pictures of him, he's he's same as the old guy. But I guess like at the you know, when we we're imagining Exterminator, he would have been in his fifties, early fifties. Right. So I guess I need to imagine like a like a more I always, I can't imagine him not being like skinny like that. But and well, I, I, the life he lived like that that's like that's like the mileage. Yeah, right. It's not the years; it's the mileage. Whenever I think of him, I always think of him as as that why is her older grandpa figure. I gotta check out more of his stuff. Like what? A, like I was I didn't. I remember I tried some of of Naked Lunch in high school. Um, I, we've talked about it before. Like, there's like one story that kind of stuck with me, but I didn't get the angle. Um, but I'm coming out of Exterminator, like finding his his intelligence, his humor, his imagination to be like just really captivating. Yeah, I, I should pick up Nova Express again. I had a copy of that, and it was a hair more tame than Naked Lunch, but it was still cut up. Oh, yeah, I, I, we should 
in the future have more pleasant evenings with Burroughs, but... Yeah, for sure. For the sake of variety, I don't see the point in going back to back. Right. In fact, we're going to make a big leap. We're actually going to, um, in a sense, go back to high, high school vibes. Follow the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yeah. So we look forward to that. Um, yeah, I'm just transitioning into signing out. we got to wrap up. This is a while. No, for sure. two hours for sure. now. Uh, <laughs> I think we covered a lot of good ground, so... Right, so I saw the... Join us next time for, uh, you know, if you've been following along with the, with the Gundam releases. Just next time for the conclusion to Double Zeta Gundam. We got some Gundam movies ahead of us, I think. Yeah, and then it's going to, then right after that, it's going to be Char's, Char's Counterattack. Finally, Charmix has come back. Yeah, really excited about, about wrapping up Zeta Zeta Gundam. It has been, like, I really have been enjoying that one. If you're not into Gundam, I guess that's a hard one to jump into. Just watch Gundam. It's whatever. It's fun. Or, or not. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, yeah. Join us in the future. If after we do uh, Double Zeta Gundam, we'll probably hit up uh, Fall of the House of Usher by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, yeah. Uh, throughout all those times, we're going to try to we're gonna try to have as many pleasant evenings as we can. We hope the same for you. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, this is uh, Roberto signing out. This is Corbin saying goodnight. I was gonna. I, I missed my. I missed my timing. I was gonna try to pull up some disgusting phrase from this book, but I. Uh, as always, come and jerk off. Nineteen twenty nine. All right. For shitting and pissing. <laughs>